1 Kings 19, 1 Kings 19, we'll read verse number 8 through verse number 18. I'm uh, going to be talking, if you with the title of the message, it would be The Wilderness. And uh, this is something that takes place here in Elijah's life. Um, he's, uh, what took place last, last week, the warrant for his arrest came out. And so he kind of ran for his life a little bit, ran under the juniper tree. And God told him to get out from underneath the juniper tree and go to Mount Horeb. Now... Just to give you a little bit of history about Mount Horeb, if you go back in Exodus chapter number 3 and Exodus chapter number 4, Mount Horeb would be called the Mount of God, or uh, this is what took place there in, in uh, Exodus, the burning bush. This is where the burning bush took place. This is where water from the rock took place. This is where Moses got the Ten Commandments. All of these stories, all of those stories reference Moses at Mount Horeb. Now, if you look at this, and God told him to go to Mount Horeb, and he spent 40 days and 40 nights, and he went to Mount Horeb. And that's where we're going to pick up reading in verse number 9. Verse number 8, And he arose, and he did eat and drink and went and strength of, of that meat 40 days and 40 nights unto unto Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous. And this is Elijah's response to the Lord. And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts and for the children of Israel who have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thine prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and great and a great strong wind rent the mountain, and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But listen, look at this statement here in verse number eleven. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the earthquake, I'm sorry, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And it was so... When Elijah heard that, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering, uh, entering in of the, of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here? What are you doing here? Now, what I want to speak to you tonight, just three simple thoughts. Number one, we have... The question. We'll finish reading the rest of the text in just a moment. Well, let's go ahead and take what we've read and, and go from there. Number one, we have the question. Look in verse number nine. He says, 
And the, the word of the Lord came to him and said, What doest thou here? Look in verse number 13. The question is asked again. What doest thou here? Okay? So we see, first of all, the question that is asked. But if you will break this question down, there's two different questions, I believe, in this one question. Number one question is, what doest thou? Let's talk about your occupation for just a moment, Elijah. What are you doing where you're at? Why are you in the cave? God told you to go to Mount Horeb, not to go to a cave. So he says, why are you in this cave? Why are you here like this? You should not be in the cave. You ought to be on Mount Horeb. Now, the question is, why? What are you doing thou? What doest thou? What is your occupation? What are you doing? Did not God call you to preach? Did not God call you to be the man of God? And he was in the cave. What doest thou? I believe a lot of times Christians miss the mark in which God has called them to do. They are not doing what God has called them to do. They're not in the place that God has called them to be. What has God called you to do, Christian? He's called you, first of all, to be a Christian. He's called you to serve God. He's called you not to sit and to soak and to sour at church. He's called you to do something for the Lord. So I ask you this question. What is it that God has called you to do? Because every one of us have a job that we ought to do. And you look here. What doest thou? Well, if we were to ask you that question, I know there's just a few of us here tonight, but I just just ask you this question. What are you doing here at Mid-County Baptist Church? What are you doing? What are you, how are you serving God here? There's many different ways that you can serve God. There's more than one way to serve God. There's multiple ways you can serve God. But the question I have is what are you doing here? What are you doing what are you doing? You know what? I am a pastor. But before I am the pastor, I am a Christian. And what am I doing as a Christian serving God? So should not be the Christian taking the number one spot. So I not only am I a Christian, but I'm a pastor. And so I ought to, I ought to do things right. But I ask you, are you a Christian? Yes or no? Are you a Christian? Yes? Is that a yes? Yes. yes. So what, what should you do? What should something you do as a Christian? Well, you know what? That's the preacher's job or that's this job. No, you, your job is to be a Christian all the time. And look, you know, as a Christian, you don't, it's not like you turn it on and turn it off. It's not like you have 24 hours. It's not like... Uh, you get up and you say, well, okay, I guess today I'm going to be a Christian. Tomorrow I'm not. No, it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You ought to be a Christian. You ought to be that type of a person. And he asked Elijah, what are you doing? What doest thou? 
That's question number one. Question number two, he asked, what doest thou here? Why are you here? Why are you in a cave? Why are you where you're at? But I want you to look at this, okay? So we see the question, we see the occupation, we see the location, but also I want you to look at this. I want you to see the answer that Elijah gives. What does he say? And he said, verse 10, and he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I, am only, only am I, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Look in verse number 14. Verse number 13, he asks the question again. Verse number 14, he gives the same answer. And he said, I'm, I have been here. I have been very jealous for the Lord of God, the Lord God of hosts. I want you to think about this for just a moment. What is his answer based on? How's he answering this question? Anybody? What's he talking about? Talking about what? Himself and his problems. Okay? I want you to look a little closer. Look at this. He says, I have what? What's that word? I have what? Been? I have. I have. What does that mean? That's something that he, what he had done. That's his past. It's something that he had accomplished. It's something that he had done. And he overthrew the, the altars and he slain the prophets with the sword. So he is telling God, well, I have done this. But here's the issue. Here's the issue I have with the answer, okay? It is based on his past, not where he is, and not where he ought to be going. And so his answer was not about where he was at. His answer was where he had been. He said, I have been. But I believe, and I, I think this is very true, that Christians nowadays, they live in the past. And they want to talk about the glory days and when, when they were, you know, well, you know, what I used to accomplish or I did accomplish and I used to teach Sunday school and I used to sing and I used to do this and I used to do that and I used to do this. And instead of being like, hey, I am doing this and I am accomplishing this. It's not something we do in our past, but it's simply something we are doing now. Not I have been, I am doing. Think about that for just a moment. So many times we want to glory about what we've accomplished. That's just like a football player. He wants to talk about his glory days. Just like a basketball player. Well, let me tell you, when I was a kid, man, I could play. I could shoot some hoops or baseball or whatever it is. They want to relive what took place. And as a Christian, do you know what we can't do? We cannot live with the past in view. What do you mean by that, preacher? I mean this. We can't be always worried about what took place. We've got to be worried about what is going to take place. We cannot focus everything we do on the past. Because we can't change the past for anything. I can't make, 
I can't change what took place yesterday any more than I can change what took place a year ago. The past is in the past. So he says, I have been. Any questions? He said, forgetting those things which are behind. And then he talks about pressing towards the mark. Right. And it doesn't just say the bad things either, though. It's, it's even the good things. Yeah. So it's not just, oh, I've got to forget about the bad I used to do. You can't live in the good days of what you used to do either. Because then you'll get stuck on that that I used to and you won't do anything now. That's right. So it's not just the bad, but it's the good as well. That's right. And, and, and this is true because this is exactly what Elijah was talking about. He wasn't talking about the bad stuff that took place. He was talking about the victories he had. And he said, man, I took down, I threw down the altars and they have forsaken the covenant and I killed the prophets with the sword. That's what I did. But too much he was worried about the past. And to be honest with you, it is sometimes hard not to live in the past. Because he was kind of... I don't even know that he was completely oh, oh, done with being discouraged from last week when we talked about his, uh, them after him and after him to seek his life because he ends verse number 11 or verse number 10 and they seek my life to take it away. They're trying to kill. They are trying to kill me. All right. Anybody else? Any question? All right. Number two. We see the demonstration. We see the demonstration. Okay? Look in verse number 11. Um, and he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. So the, the voice, the, the word of God, told Elijah to go stand upon the mount. Go stand before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind rent the mountain and break it into pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. Isn't that interesting? Look at that. The wind came and knocked a bunch of rocks down. Look, if you've been watching the news or been taking place or watching the weather that's been going through uh, the United States, we've seen some tornadoes go through and they've done some really bad damage uh, done trees and things of that nature look the wind came upon the mountain that day i don't know that it was a tornado but it it tore the mountain apart and rocks started flying everywhere but the bible says the lord was not in the wind but look and then he goes and after the wind the wind was done and then here came the earthquake and the bible says but the lord was not in the earthquake and then after the earthquake a fire came and the Bible says, but the Lord was not in the fire. So as you look at this text, as you look at these verses, what does it mean that the Lord was not in the wind? And the Lord was not in the earthquake. And the Lord was not in the fire. What do you think? What do you think that means? What, what does that mean to you? Anybody? The Lord wasn't in the fire, the Lord wasn't in the wind, the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. What took place? Okay. 
I'm going to give you my thought. The wind, the earthquake, the fire, those are things that just happen. And just because it happens doesn't mean that God has said, it's a judgment of God. I've heard people say that about different tornadoes or different uh, earthquakes and different tsunamis and all these events that are taking place. You know what? Sometimes those things just take place. And the Lord was not in the wind. And the Lord was not in the earthquake. And the Lord was not in the fire. He wasn't in those things because they just took place. Look, I want you to think about this too. Bigness does not always guarantee the presence of God. Bigness doesn't guarantee the presence of God. You say, what do you mean by that? There was a big fire and a big earthquake and a big wind, but God was not in any of it. Just because it's big doesn't mean that God's in it or the presence of God is there. Look, just because you can put, just because the churches, some churches fill up and, and they've got no room to put anybody else, doesn't mean that God's presence is in that place. And it doesn't mean that God's presence is there just because it's big. It's, it, it, it does not automatically mean that God's presence is there. Well, did you see all them people? When they were standing on Mount Carmel, how many were servants of God? One. How many believed in Baal? The whole lot of them did. There wasn't any of them that believed in God. Just because they're a majority doesn't mean that they are right. Just like churches and pastors and preachers and missionaries, some people believe that success is found in how many come to church and how many people are there. If, if my success or if your success or if Elijah's success or if anybody's success was built on how many people attended the church and how many people were there and the bigness of it is very shallow. Bigness doesn't always guarantee the presence of God. Yes? So you, so question or, or a thought? Anybody have a question about this event, about the earthquake and the wind and the fire and, and what I, you know, I, I kind of like it under the, to that. I think even like when it comes to churches sometimes, not necessarily the devil, but like he doesn't want you in a good church. So if he can get you in a church that doesn't teach the gospel, he'll let a hundred people go there and you'll think, oh, that's where I need to be because there's so many people there. So they're not teaching the right thing. And so he'll get you know, people to go there. Or even just people in general, they're not teaching the gospel. And so other people will go there because it's big and it's got to be something good because it's big. But that's not always the case. Right. Because if so, then 
the fire and the earthquake and the wind was of God. But it wasn't. It wasn't. But immediately people begin to think that when something like that takes place at a church, per se, that, oh, God must be behind it. All right? Yes, ma'am. I don't think so. Yeah. Well, I think the devil can attack and he can he can do things. Bible talks about in Job <clears throat> that the wind killed one of, some of his children, and the devil was was a part of that attack. So not to say that the devil can't or couldn't, but it could have been. But we know that it wasn't of God. We know that God was not in it. But again, like I said, sometimes things just happen. Weather just, yeah, it's just a part of life. I mean, things just just happen. I mean, I've heard, I heard, I've heard preachers and I've heard people and something bad happens in the service. A microphone goes crazy. Well, that must be the devil. Well, no, it's probably just the microphone. You know, I mean, I, I'm not trying to be stupid. Or credit that he deserves. He, yeah, right, right. Because things just simply happen sometimes, you know. And I'm not trying to discredit anybody who's ever said something like that. But sometimes things just happen. And we try to give the devil credit when we ought not give the devil credit, you know. Um, he doesn't always deserve that credit, you know. I, I've, I've heard people, the, 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 the different... Uh, weather that's going on is God judging us. And I'm not saying that it's not, but but it might just be something that the Lord was not in. But, okay, so just a couple statements under number two. Bigness does not guarantee the Lord's presence, but I also look look at this. I want you to think about this, okay? Now, smallness does not rule out God's presence. Just because it's small doesn't mean that God's presence isn't there. Now, you say, what do you mean by that? Look in verse number 12. Okay, so he says, after the earthquake, a fire, and but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, what's the next word? A still, small voice. So when was the presence of God? When did the presence of God come? Was when that still, small voice came. But look, watch what takes place. Because it wasn't in the bigness of the earthquake. And it wasn't in the bigness of the fire. And it wasn't in the bigness of the wind. It was in that still, small voice. Look what happens in verse number 13. The Bible says, and it was so. When Elijah heard it, when he heard what? What did he hear? He heard the small voice. He heard the little bitty voice. What did he do? He wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering end of the cave. And behold, there came unto him and there came a voice unto him and said, What? Doest thou hear what took place? The presence of God was in 
that still, small voice. Smallness does not always, does not, uh, does not rule out God's presence. The demonstration that took place was the weather and then God's still, small voice. Well, when God's presence comes upon somebody, look what took place. He wrapped his face in the mantle and he went and stood where he was supposed to be because the presence of God came. So we see the question, the demonstration, and number three, and lastly, and I'm going to be done. Is the prediction of the future. In verse number 15, the verses we did not read, so if you want to follow along there with me, if you can. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of a of a of a of a, of Belmehon, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazel shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me 7,000 in the Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, every mouth which have not kissed him. So I'm going to give you just a couple thoughts here on the prediction of Israel. Number one, we see Hazel is to be anointed king over Syria. You say, when did that take place? Second Kings chapter number 8. He was prophesying what would take place. And then it took place in 2 Kings chapter number 8 with Elisha. Elisha ended up carrying that out. Verse number 16. And Jehu the son of Nimshi, number 2. Jehu the son of Nimshi shall become king over Israel. 2 Kings chapter number 9. And then, again, number one was the king over Israel, the king, uh, king over Syria, the king over Israel. And then number three, which I'm going to send you another prophet. His name is Elisha. And Elisha, thy son <coughs> of Shaphat, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. So number one, we see the, the king of Israel Number two, we see the, the king of Israel, uh, Syria. Number one, the king of Syria. Number two, the king of Israel. Number three, Elisha being anointed to be the prophet. And then number four, all of Ahab's descendants would be destroyed. Because Hazel, the, son of the, the, the king of Syria, would kill him. And who he wouldn't kill, Jehu would slay. And who Jehu wouldn't kill, Elisha would. To kill all the descendants of Ahab. 
So there are the prophecies that were given and then the prediction or the prediction of the future and God came through with all of those. In verse number 18, I have left 7,000 in Israel. 7,000 people will believe. Some believe that this is a prophecy. Some believe it was talking about what was already there. What, whether it was prophecy or whether it was not. He was talking about the 7,000 people in Israel that believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. So here we are tonight, Christian. We have the question. We have the demonstration. We have the prediction of the future. So I can ask you this question. What is your occupation? What doest thou at the church? What are you doing here? Why are you here? Bigness doesn't guarantee God's presence, and smallness does not rule out that God's presence isn't there. And then we see the prediction of the future, which one day we will see the prediction that has been taking place. Not here, per se, but the prediction given to us that Christ will return and we will live forever in heaven. Does anybody have any thoughts, questions, or concerns before we close? Anybody have a question? Anybody have a thought? Okay. Well, let's close in prayer.